Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, what edition is this? Well, I'm recording at 5.32 p.m. on Tuesday, September 20th. And so that might give the impression that I am going to talk about all the new things that have happened this week, including Taylor Kyle leaving Air McLaren SP. That's going to be the next one that I record, which I'll do that tomorrow morning. This is actually the Champions Edition, Championship Edition from last week in Monterey. All the questions you sent in. Funny little sidebar here. I got a decent way into that episode and wasn't really paying enough attention, apparently, to the mobile audio recorder I've been using of late, like I'm using right now. And I did check the batteries before I started recording. Everything was fine. Should have captured the hour plus uh, there. And I guess never thought about it. And so, yeah, got the show somewhat close to being done and looked over, noticed all the lights were off and (laughs) realized, well, that's probably a problem. And it was. So not only did it die, uh, the audio file was corrupt as well. And so meant to re-record it on Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday and failed all three days and admittedly i kind of had a you know what no one's going to care at this point so just going to table that until early next week when hopefully folks still do care so here we are that's the little story so this is everything you sent in coming through monterey championship event there and there's lots of stuff to still cover off here so i wouldn't say any of the major items you've sent in are old or out of date so anyways that's what we're doing here in this episode got a whole new batch of questions i'm going to do tomorrow so yes there'll be two weekend indycar listener q a episodes this week i want to say a huge thanks as always to y'all for sending in the questions that power every episode i'm also watching our cat rocky you about to jump down buddy all right I got one cat as a co-pilot for this episode. Also, as usual, want to pay huge respect to our longtime partners. That would be Cooper Tires, folks who make the road to Indy possible, whose tires you will find going forward supporting USF Juniors, USF 2000, and Indy Pro 2000, all led by Anderson Promotions, the very fine people at Anderson Promotions. So huge thanks to Cooper Tires for their patronage now, I think year five or six. Just amazing folks. Uh, Justice Brothers, you've probably heard me mention before, I've worked with the automotive chemicals and lubricants the Justice Brothers make since I became a mechanic, race car mechanic in 1986. The other maybe interesting little part, I don't know if I've mentioned this before too many times, I became aware of the Justice Brothers when I was like, I don't know, six or seven or eight, because the person who was the distributor of Justice Brothers products, uh, Bay Area Distributing, my father was one of their clients, his shop, Pruitt's Old English Garage. And so a gentleman named Mike McHugh, and then later his wife, uh, Kalina McHugh, would come and deliver whether it was brake cleaner, parts cleaner, all kinds of lubricants, and you name it, to my dad's shop, which he and all the other mechanics used. Got to know them, so this would have been late 70s, early 80s. And in getting to know them a little bit, tiny little bit, um, then became quite interested when Mike and his SCCA Super V vehicle uh, 
allowed me to come and be a gopher and basically be the lowest person on the totem pole and just learn by doing all the menial tasks. So when I do say the Justice Brothers have been a part of my life forever, it's real. It's not a promotional thing. It is a fact. Uh, Justice Brothers products delivered and used at my father's shop. And then the person doing the delivering, who my father considered to be a friend, uh, letting me come and start to volunteer working on his race car. That's where my whole journey in racing started. So it truly, no joke, came through this Justice Brothers connection. And then the final aspect here of those who've been supporting us, actually our very first partner, that would be TorontoMotorsports.com, purveyors of awesome motor racing memorabilia, t-shirts, hats, stickers, models, F1, IndyCar, sports cars, you name it, TorontoMotorsports.com. Truly, truly awesome people there. Our man Derek Koska being uh, the, the dude behind it all. So, again... Really appreciate all of you and everything you've sent in, and I'm going to get through as much as I can tonight in about an hour. We might go a little bit over time, but yeah, <clears throat> had I been able to get this done last week, it probably would have been an hour and a half at least, but we'll do a little bit of trimming. want to say a big thanks as well for the really funny or kind or positive or however we should phrase it, the feedback here from... The Fever Dream article that I wrote uh, last week, uh, again, all a dream and such, uh, when I sent that in, I thought it was going to be the proverbial fart in church. I didn't think it was going to go over well at all. I thought it might have been too abstract for folks, and who knows, maybe it still is or was. But to my pleasant surprise, uh, many of you have just sent in kind things about that Fever Dream column. So... That surprised the living heck out of me. Not your kindness, but not that more of the fact that it wasn't something that everyone said, burn it, burn it with fire now. I mentioned that uh, beyond expressing my gratitude to y'all because after publishing it, <laughs> a couple of things, one of them related to the news uh, today of Taylor Kyle leaving, um, yeah, there's a couple things that I re air quote remembered from the dream after the dream story, fever dream story went up. I'll admit, I am very happy. And I say this in all honesty, like this isn't something where I chose to leave those items out. I truly didn't remember those aspects of the air quote fever dream. After realizing that, after the story went up, I did say to myself, man, I'm really happy. I actually didn't remember a couple of those items and really happy that they didn't go in because, yeah. Uh, so tried to share as much as I could in remembering the dream and all the aspects of it. But, yeah, I think that was a good thing. Maybe at a later date I can share those aspects of the fever dream. There was an entire section, though, that I cut out, and I was just going to mention a little bit of it here before we get rolling with your questions, that I thought might be interesting, amusing, I don't know what, and I don't know why I'm doing it, but I've got it loaded in, and I just feel like we need to hear a little bit of... God, I know I'm going to get everyone telling me, Pruitt, don't ever do that again. Delete that. You burn that with fire. 
no more DJ party horns. Um, so the part that I cut out, and it was probably 400 words, maybe 500. I think the overall thing, I actually don't remember how many words it was, but it was a decent chunk that I cut out. And that was a part of the dream involving our man Felix Rosenquist. And why did I cut that out? Well, you write everything. And I'm not going to bore you with the whole process of writing. But in a very short description, at least my process for something that is long and somewhat involved like this, is you just try and write the whole thing. You write the whole thing out and realize that it, instead of trying to edit while you're writing, uh, in something like this, I just find it easier to poop it all out and then go back afterwards and read it make some tweaks, make some edits, keep reading through it. And if there are any things that stand out as problematic, you decide whether you should keep that in or not. And the whole Felix part, I just thought added way too much complexity to something that was already kind of a little bit complex. So cut that part out. Spoken about this stuff with Felix, so there's nothing here that I would say is super... Uh, top secret or whatever else but just thought i'd share this with you here because uh it was cut and there's no real reason or no real place for it to fall anywhere else so in this whole fever dream uh i can tell you that i don't know the exact timeline of where it happened but there is certainly a felix component to what happened between palo and air mclaren sp slash mclaren racing and i shouldn't even say air mclaren sp straight up McLaren Racing. Somewhere in here. Was it before the alleged outreach, supposed outreach in the dream from Pelot's management team to McLaren? Was it before? Was it during? Was it after? Again, I, I couldn't tell you where the, it lands in the dream. But there was a request from Felix to stop driving IndyCar for McLaren at the end of the 2022 season. Why? This is a little bit of the weird stuff. Some of the things that go on a little bit in the background, but again, I don't think this is any secret uh, to those who are you know, highly involved in the series. Felix and his long-term girlfriend were having issues. Uh, they're both obviously from Europe or from, let's just say, far away. Um, Feeling homesick. Felix, who'd called Monaco home, and I think still might have a home there, uh, that's where Felix was based. He's Swedish, obviously. His girlfriend's Swedish. But they'd been based in Monaco before coming over here. And relationship is starting to get a little bit rocky due to being homesick. And so Felix, as I understand, trying to be a good guy, said, okay, well, we've been together for a long time, and, you know... Uh, if leaving the U.S. and going back and being closer to home, obviously can go to Sweden pretty easily, but, you know, being around Monaco, which had been our base, that's the thing that I want to do at the end of the 2022 season in an effort to fix things and get everything back on track relationship-wise. It's not uncommon uh, between whether it's driver, girlfriend, uh, mechanic, boyfriend, what? just again, it's not really a, a nationality thing, a gender thing, any of that. 
I've heard of every possible scenario where partners, couples, married or not, in motor racing, some sort of stress involved. Hey, could we move from here to there? That would make things better. Hey, could you change jobs? Could you go from traveling to being more shop-based? Could Right? These things have been going on forever. So I'm just sharing this because absolutely nothing new or remarkable about this in terms of Felix and his girlfriend. Happens, happened a million times. It'll happen a million times more. Then they broke up. And this was after the request was made to step away from IndyCar, go do Formula E. This whole thing was put in motion to try and, again, do something good, keep a relationship going, one that a lot of time had been invested into. And so that, for whatever timeline period in this fever dream, that is something that happened at some point. Was the Pelot thing a response in trying to fill that seat? Was this just a coincidental timing? I truly don't know. Can't remember. But I do know for a fact that this request was placed and accepted. Then, I guess unfortunately, however you might look at it, that's again probably more up to those two, uh, the relationship ended before they could head back together to Europe and have everything hopefully go back to being in a super happy place. So relationship ends. All of a sudden, this Rosenquist guy who loves IndyCar and admittedly never really wanted to leave in the first place, facing a situation to no longer need to head back home because there's no relationship to salvage, doesn't want to give up that seat. Now, what happened from there in the dream? The, hey, there's no need for me to go back. Could we stop doing this? Could we, right? I can't tell you where it falls, but we do know, having seen multiple things said by Felix, right? Don't want to go, want to stay, don't want to go to Formula E. Pato saying many, many, many times over, don't want him to go, want him to stay, amazing teammate. Those two are as close of friends as I've ever seen between teammates you can safely assume Pato probably knew what was going on uh, in terms of the desire to go back and then the breakup and then no need to go back. Can get why trying to get a hold of Polo would have been something that uh, the McLaren side coveted, right? Champion. Uh, serious threat for the title as well in 2022. Can see why those interests would have been maintained for some period. I'd also ask, again, not fully clear in the exact timeline, though, but if you have something that looks like it's going to be a big legal fight and you've got this guy who's been delivering well for you this year in the 7 car in Rosenquist, and he says, hey, uh, can we just kind of erase that request that I made and just keep going forward in the 7 car... I can't say I fully understand why this pursuit of Polo would have continued and whatever amount of lawyer bills, which I heard were 
yes, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in a, in just a very brief amount of time. Um, can't say why this adventure to try and keep putting Polo in the 7 car was continued. Uh, but I can say, to close here in this fever dream aspect that was left out, there was a Rosenquist angle for sure. Happy for him that everything is settled and he'll be staying in the car for at least next year. We don't know if it's going to be any longer. Happy that he committed to IndyCar, whether it was with McLaren or not, another team, by buying a house, condo, town, whatever exactly it is, but buying a home, uh, not as a rental property, but to live in, making a commitment. I'm staying in IndyCar no matter whom it's with. Uh, I think as I wrote leading into Laguna Seca, I don't know, I think leading into whatever the silly season piece was that I filed that, uh, yeah, whether it was Andretti, RLL, or Hunkos, uh, or others, more than one opportunity, more than one team outside of Air McLaren SP looking to pay him millions of dollars on a multi-year contract to perform driving services, he was always going to be good. But yeah, there was a weird angle here that is real from the dream. Uh, boy, so much more to talk about this stuff, by the way. Uh, maybe we will at some point in time get to have a uh, Ask Me Anything and I'll Tell You Every Single Thing I Know About It type podcast. Uh, it might also be my final as an IndyCar reporter because I don't know if everyone's going to tell me everything. Um so that's that. That's the little uh, bit of the fever dream that was left out. Spoke with a team owner or two today about some other silly season-related items. And yeah, uh, <laughs> got another one going. Uh, hopefully leaning more towards ramping things down and buttoning up some of the uh, the final aspects of the silly season. Said many times here on the show, written about it as well, that uh, we're just truly waiting for the official press release from the Foyt team on uh, Benjamin Peterson stepping into the 14 car. Kyle Kirkwood, a.k.a. Kirk Kirkwood, uh, has vacated in moving to Andretti. So we know that piece of the puzzle is solved. So, uh, But again, waiting on something official there. Uh, so at this moment, we do have the A.J. Foyt team and the Dale Coyne team is really the last two with major things to solve in terms of cars that are currently in motion. Then obviously we have the Hunkos Hollinger Racing Team. I think it might be just a little bit till we learn, till they decide, but till we learn who's going to be in their second car there. So not a ton left, but I'll put more of what I know in a upcoming episode. Episode? Yes, it does feel like an episodic of the silly season on racer.com. So, you know, normally I give you a little bit of a uh, music bed here as we roll into your questions. You know what? Sorry. <laughs> Look, I need to have fun, y'all. That's that's a key ingredient of doing whatever I do. Need to have a little bit of fun. Uh, let's get rolling with your show here. I'm going to take a little sip of coffee, which I shouldn't do, at nearly 6 p.m., but that's fine. Uh, Ricky Zagata, you open up the show saying, no question, just a shout-out to DJ Willie P for getting it done. Indeed. 
so cool to see him uh, live his best life. Lance Snyder, you take us in a little bit more in-depth question. You say, with your history in the sport, MP, yes, I'm calling you old, is DJ Willie P's mindset turnaround from year to year the biggest you have seen? I have to lean towards a yes here, Lance, but I don't know if I'd say it's from year to year. Technically, yes, that's what it is. He obviously made a major change in his approach from year to year. We saw as well in that cool helmet swap that Will did with Alex Pillow, him mentioning in his inscription on the helmet that he gave to Alex that, you know, watching you last year, learned a lot, etc., I didn't have time with Will after the race to fully delve into that, but I wanted to, Lance, because it stood out as a little strange. Not claiming what he wrote and what he said in interviews with me and others, and you name it, about changing his mindset, being less willing to take big risks, being being more points-capturing-minded, all those things that he did. As he has said, watching Pelot do that in 21 to great effect, winning the title, he then used to win his second championship in 2022. The part that stood out to me is odd. And he definitely did have a huge mindset, crazy from year to year, is there's nothing new about it for Will. He learned this lesson and applied it in 2014. I know that because we spoke about it. Uh, Heck, we spoke about it going into 2012. And 2013 as well. Hey, this Frankiti guy's kind of been schooling you a bit. Uh, he's willing to give up a potential win or second or even a third if it involves some sort of crazy risk to get it because he knows having second, third, or fourth place points are going to do more for him than leading however many laps and ending up 23rd after being wrecked. And so that's... Rosie making a lot of noise, if any of y'all caught that here. Um, This isn't something that's new to Will. So the part that I didn't have time to explore with him, Lance, was... I'd say 21 with Pillow was more of a reminder than a lesson. More of a, oh, yeah, that's the thing that I was expected I was going to do in 2015 and 16 and 17. What we have a lot of folks mentioning now, myself included, which is, boy, this power guy really seems locked into a new approach to racing. Obviously, it just paid off to his his benefit, but this now looks like something he can keep doing year after year and potentially get more championships. The weird thing here, Lance, is this is exactly what I said and wrote after he won the title in 2014. And it didn't happen. And I don't know exactly where it went. It's not like he just decided to start driving crazy. But, you know, there were other some extenuating circumstances on a couple of those years where things didn't exactly work out, but could have. But there was kind of a weird limbo. Where'd you go? Like, hey, that 2014 formula worked. Granted, he won more races and was certainly a little more boom and bust then, but just strange. So I do agree that this is the biggest year-to-year turnaround, but it's not like he just learned about this coming out of 2021. This is a confusing thing to me, man, because 
You've probably heard me say in the podcast many times over the years, leading into this 2022 title, wow, uh, it'll be a, a shock and sad if Will is indeed a guy who retires with a single championship because he's so much more capable than that. But for a lot of reasons, he's short-circuited, had some problems, had some taken some wrong approaches to the season. We've had a lot of those conversations during the years. Hey, what's your approach this year? Well, I'm going to do this. Well, I'm now, I tried this thing last year and it didn't work, so I'm going to do that thing. And none of them quite hit the spot. All while, what he did in 2014 worked to perfection. Now, a little bit older, he's no less hungry, but I don't think he feels the same need to prove to everyone he's the fastest guy and no one can ever beat him at every single race. Now that I think that's been dialed down a little bit, Lance, I think that's honestly where he's fallen into the right spot. He should be able to capture one more championship before he retires. I think Newgarden is going to be a real problem next year. Pelot, I think Dixon as well. I hope the Andretti team finds a lot of what they're missing so that Colton, for sure, can get back into that spot. Pato as well. I hope that they have a better and stronger season so that he's in true title contention again. Not at the bottom of the contenders, remaining contenders, but right up there in the thick of it. Not going to be easy by any means. But yeah, I do think he's evolved to a place where he can do this at least one more time. Retiring as a three-time champ? I think, Lance, that would be amazing. I think it really would put him in a place where he is held in just so much higher of a regard. Uh, Steve Bonak, how you doing, brother? Says, uh, you said, if you felt like the Penske strategy at Monterey, where they had uh, Scott McLaughlin basically shadowing Scott Dixon's strategy. He said, you felt like that really did him some harm. He said he had to pit earlier than needed, had to save fuel, then they ended up abandoning the strategy. He says, maybe I'm just a uh, Scotty Mac apologist, but what do you say? I would have done the same thing uh, on that car. I would have rolled the same exact strategy. I think just about everybody uh, said, hey, we're they're just going to have to mirror whatever Dixon does. Those two being closest-ish in qualifying. And then also from a point standpoint, you know, uh wanting to make sure that Dixon did not have any kind of great uh, ability to break away from anybody uh, and hopefully start to uh, really carve into New Garden's day or, or Power's day. So I hear you. would also say that if Scotty, who came into the race, what, fifth or sixth in, in the standings? I apologize if I'm forgetting the exact spot, but although he had an amazing Portland he was a lot of points out of the championship lead. I mean, truly a crazy long shot. So he did ultimately improve to fourth there, which is great in the championship. But this was never a realistic strategy or plan for Scotty to come out with the title in the end. Uh, I would have done the same thing and really used him to try and protect Penske's two greatest uh, potentials of winning the title, which obviously worked out in their favor. Mitsugi Matsura, 
He said, I'd like to know what made Pelot such a dominant driver at Laguna. And also, why were his teammates, Marcus Erickson and Scott Dixon, why couldn't they capitalize on the momentum of the 10 car throughout the weekend? It's interesting, Mitsuki. You hear from time to time where one really good driver on the team and another really good driver on a team have similar chassis setup needs. And so if one driver's out in the wilderness, can apply the setup from the other, and they're going to be really darn close to being happy and fast. I haven't heard so much about that being the case with Polo and Dixon or Erickson. I've heard Dixon and Erickson can work with some similar things at time, but really times, but I haven't heard a ton about Dixie and Alex being kind of mirrors of each other in terms of setup needs. Alex was fastest at the Monterey test that I was at, and Dixon, Erickson got within a decent, you know, pretty close, but it was pretty clear that Alex and his race engineer, Julian Robertson, Ganassi's technical director as well, that they were just on a little bit of a different page in terms of speed and potential and what they found. Obviously, the team would relay that to all the other cars coming into the race, and here's what we did that worked for us at the test, and obviously you're welcome to use any and all of it on your cars. Just say that what we saw with Alex in particular in qualifying and then in the race as well, they just happened upon an amazing, amazing setup here. Knowing that, um, it's not exactly like you could just say, all right, here it is. Here's the magic setup. Everyone else go run it and succeed. I was trying to think of analogies that work because so few people get to drive race cars in their life, much less Indy cars, to really know what's happening. But I sometimes refer to shoes and shoe sizes and things that fit. Uh, in this case, in this example, all of the Ganassi drivers wear different size shoes. And the size difference is enough to where no one else's shoes are exactly either a perfect fit, obviously, or close enough to be something that each other could wear without great discomfort. So here, you have something where you go, hey, the setup that they've found for Alex in the 10 car, absolute perfect fit. Never felt more secure with those shoes on, never felt more balanced, can run, pivot, stop, spin, whatever, and just like a ballet, just in full control, amazing things can be done. You take those same shoes, give them to a Dixon, who maybe those shoes are a little small or maybe a little bit too big. He can't run and pivot and stop and cut in the same ways with the same confidence as his feet are sliding around inside those shoes. Apply that to Marcus as well. Not the same confidence in being able to jump those hurdles and sprint and do all these things. That's where these little differences come in. And so what's amazing, the the teams where you find, wow, they have two drivers who are together for a long time, and 
with similar if not equal success, it's often the case where, again, in this little analogy, identical shoe size. And so, look, if you need mine, you can wear mine. Everything will be absolutely good. Uh, let's come back to Felix Rosenquist real quick. Um, one of the issues, or I shouldn't say one of the issues, probably the biggest issue, and this directly applies to this topic, Mitsuki, one of the main reasons why Felix had a terrible introduction at Aero McLaren SP in 2021. Very simple. The team, which only had one driver carrying over from the previous season, that being Pato Award, all the stuff they did that worked, produced speed, produced great success, it all came from Pato's car, and that's where their development efforts were taken. Makes total sense, right? Hey, uh, obviously... Oliver Askew didn't have a wonderful rookie season. The crash, which set him back, and some other drivers in and out of the car. That number seven Chevy at Air McLaren SP honestly just wasn't much of a vehicle where they were able to build great setup information and R&D to go into the offseason. The one consistent driver they had who drove like a crazed animal was Pato Award, our favorite duck. And so knowing that, what you had was Pato, whose driving style is insane. And by insane, I say that in the most positive way. The guy has that car dancing beneath him at all times. It is, it's not even pointed straight on the straights. Like, <laughs> just the thing is always oversteering a little bit and bouncing around. It's crazy how fast he is by having a car that moves around as much. Well, awesome. What does Felix need in order to go fast? Not the thing that Pato needed to go fast. And so when he climbed into the car for the first time, and then crazily enough, Juan Montoya, the the greatest hands the greatest ability to drive a car sideways uh, I've ever seen. There's no one who can drive a car as sideways as quickly as Juan Montoya on an oval, on a road course, anywhere. Montoya got out of the car and was like, dude, what is that? Even I can't drive it. This thing is so all over the place. And so, again, none of these things are critical of Air McLaren SP, it's just that there's one driver coming out of 2020 who's able to give them a great results, and so they essentially followed him and what they had with that data from the one car that had a consistent driver in it as the direction they took leading into 2021. The downside was Felix got in the car and said, oh, huh, uh, no, 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 I, I can't drive this. And so then, in 21, started a pretty intensive and long, all right, now we need to find something that works for Felix. And those things, sorry for those who don't care about the technical side, but I am trying to explain some realities here. When you learn that the direction you've taken during the off-season on setup and R&D projects and everything to try and make your team fast for the following season, when you then get into that season, 
and find that either it was wrong just across the board or it favors one driver but your other full-time driver says i can't this i can drive the car of course but it is not going to be super fast and i'm not going to be able to do much that impresses you because this thing if i wear a size 10 shoe this car is like a size 20 like uh, i mean i am slipping and sliding just trying to hold on to the thing and it gives me no confidence to plant my feet and pivot or do anything you then try and do your best to fix things during the season for that driver a whole big new r&d project is kicked off you never get all the way back right you make progress but there's still uh, a lot of improvement still needed to be made and that's exactly what we saw in 2021 felix obviously had that huge and unfortunate crash in detroit was sidelined a little bit but towards the end of the season the big changes in setup took the seven car to a place to where he was happy ish happier and things were more tailored for his needs he was no longer having to basically drive pato's setup which didn't make enough um, enough sense to him okay come into 2022 having started that project getting felix what he needed also working with a, a, a phenomenal race engineer who's just known for being able to find the things a driver needs and really help tailor those things for them and what do we get in 2022 we have pato with a car that he needs that's good for him we have felix with a car that he needs and is good for him and both of these guys are kicking ass i know the team as a whole didn't have an amazing season a ton of distractions off track but regardless you now had two drivers with what they needed separate needs but both catered to and you had a a very decent one-two punch with these two drivers just coming back here to the main topic to close the reason alex Pillow is fast and the things that make sense to him might not be the exact things that a dixon or an erickson or jimmy johnson or anyone else would need and vice versa you're very lucky when you have two drivers or i mean it'd be amazing if you had three who all wanted and needed the same things a team like that would be almost impossible to stop but in the absence of that a team's ability to develop a car that is at the full potential of what its driver needs even if those needs are totally separate from their teammates that's a reality most teams deal with not all of them are successful this is just one area at monterey in particular where things didn't exactly play out the way that they wanted so thanks for asking mitsuki always enjoy trying to talk a little bit about the uh the engineering side or the driving side uh and appreciate questions like yours i'm gonna take another quick sip next we go to one of my favorite people and if you don't follow her well uh boo on you uh on the good old tweeters she would be at mama m-a-m-a underscore g-force that would be the all caps cassie johnston uh why should you follow cassie she's a fan 
who does as good a job, if not better a job, than the IndyCar series itself in sharing really cool thoughts, building really cool communities, and just growing love and support for a series that she's loved for a really long time. So those are my kind of people, really and truly. People who come from a place of positivity first and are trying to build greater communities, greater tribes of folks who love and are like-minded and just want to add more sunshine. So at mama underscore GeForce, follow her. Strongly recommended. Um, should also mention here, which I'm out of practice in doing because I haven't done a lot of podcasts for about the last month, um, the Prue Day. It's a listener group. Formed on their own, named, modeled after my favorite WWE tag team group, which is now disbanded, sadly, the New Day, but the Prue Day. It's a pretty amazing group of folks who love IndyCar, love sports cars, mostly IndyCar though, probably, but love racing. And they communicate on a daily basis in a private manner. Uh, if you'd like to join this group of racers, friends, who could be friends, folks who have become friends. Uh, one of the leaders of the group, Matt Philpot, shared a great story today about a problem uh, they were having with one of their cats uh, was actually helped to resolve that issue through a fellow member of the Prue Day. Um, That's a great story. Maybe uh, I should have asked Matt if I could have told it. Maybe he'll let me tell it in tomorrow's episode. But it's just a fun group of 100-plus folks who love racing, uh, do what we refer to back in the day as bench racing, just kind of hanging around, talking about racing, but doing that online. Uh, private group on Twitter. I think there's also a private group on Discord as well. So if you'd like to join, since this is a private group, just send an email. One of the leaders there, Cassie is one of those leaders. Uh, send an email. And it might take a couple days for them to get to you. I'm not a member. This is all... This, I'm not supposed to be involved in this. This is just y'all having fun uh, and building, again, your own tribe under uh, the Pruday banner. Uh, send an email. Pruday, P-R-U-E, like the first four letters of my last name, Pruday, <coughs> P-R-U-E-D-A-Y, and then rocks, R-O-C-K-S, Rocks at gmail.com. Send an email there about wanting to join the Pruday uh, listener group, and someone will do just that and welcome you in. So yeah, prudayrocks at gmail.com. There you go. Cassie asks something here that, uh, in my first attempt at recording, might have taken up half of that recording, Cassie, so I'm glad I'm getting to uh, do this again, and I'll do it in a much shorter capacity. You said, can you please tell us why Alex Pillow wasn't penalized? for an unsafe release at Monterey after clipping another car, I believe that was Connor Daly, in the pits. So it's not sure if it would have changed the podium, but seemed like a no-brainer to me. Uh, and then you got another question here. I'll get to that in just a sec. This, to me, was just the, the biggest of nothing burgers. Uh, yes, contact was made. We could see that Alex was released. Uh, the way he left the box and then kind of intersected with Daly coming in. You could see, I think, the very front portion of Alex's right front wing end place, end plate, or end place. <laughs> uh, right front, right front, 
I'm, I'm not even drunk, but we'll just go with it. Right front wing end plate made contact with Connor's left rear tire. It was a the slightest of nudges. I don't believe any damage was done to either car. I don't believe either car was moved as a result. Right, you could see Alex's wing wobble a little bit, but there's no damage done to either car. No impact in terms of either driver's race. No crew were harmed. No crew were placed in any danger. And the result of that slight touch was absolutely nothing. I get the mindset that, hey, contact happened, therefore a penalty should happen. Unsafe release, crew chief should be yelled at or penalized, whatever it might be. <clears throat> I understand that mindset. Just throw two quick things here out, out here as I speak in reverse. I always look at what is the outcome, right? Did this truly impact anything? Answer is no. I already ran through that. No change either driver. Races were not, again, zero impact on either car. No damage. No one was in jeopardy. What about the implication of, hey, there are rules saying you shouldn't do that, so why isn't that being applied? I think that's the greater topic here. I don't think IndyCar was afraid to assess a penalty. I think IndyCar looked at that in the same way I did and said, okay, I'm going to send a little SMS note to the 10-car team, and who knows, maybe to all the teams saying, hey, watch it, okay? I need you to take a harder look before you release your car. We don't want any contact. But this is not something I would ever want IndyCar to penalize because if we get into that then we start opening up to what I loathe about Formula One these days. And that is, sadly, I'm not saying this about you, Cassie, or anyone else here. I'm just saying the thing I loathe about Formula One these days is it seems like most races are now being watched by a, a disturbingly vocal group where don't really care about the race. They just are looking for any infractions that they might call out, blow up, and try and flag for the FIA to call on whomever. Oh my god, I just saw that on lap 17 and the 14th turn, Esteban Ocon exceeded track limits, uh, penalize him immediately, uh, death sentence for him. Why? Because they hate Ocon? Doubtful. It's probably because Ocon is running in front of their favorite driver or a driver representing their favorite team. And it's just this non-stop barrage of watching a race, but not actually watching for the competition, but looking for any little rules infraction that might be called out. And that, to me, is the antithesis of why motor racing exists and certainly the opposite. Uh, for any reason, I would want to watch motorized competition. If there's a clear and a clear penalty, something where you go, "Hey, you hit the other person. It affected their race. It was created. You did truly, nearly hit a person, a track worker, or someone 
on a pit crew, get real things where you go, all right, hey. <laughs> I think of penalties in this area along the same line as whatever the judge was in whatever court case, however many years ago, talking about pornography, where they said pornography is, like I'm paraphrasing, you can't define pornography, but you know it when you see it. I apply that same mentality here. Was this tiniest of contact between Pillow and Daly something that warranted a penalty? No. Saw it. That doesn't qualify. That wasn't porn. Um, some of the other things that we see, real hard hits, real dumb moves, real egregious stuff, clearly, you look at that and go, yep, that's a penalty. There's no question. There's no need to review. <laughs> you don't need to flash the thing at the top of the screen saying contact between so-and-so and so-and-so is under review. We, again, we know it. Clear. Penalty. I just would not want IndyCar to get to that place, Cassie, where this F1, you see it in sports car racing too. Sports car racing is where it originated. I've always joked that I think sports car racing is not actually real competition. It's just to see who can follow a crazy set of rules better than the other. Um, I hate this about F1 where any little thing is being blown up like it's into the world and there's a conspiracy at if the FIA does not investigate why uh, name the driver did the smallest ever thing and why they weren't treated like the world's greatest terrorist and felon. So glad nothing was called. Don't ever want to see stuff like that become a, a case of being ruled on in super harsh fashion by IndyCar. I just go with the, you know it when you see it. I wouldn't say that was something that they saw as being real. Uh, Austin Sutton, you're asking about uh, Laguna Seca. You're saying you went to your first race there, your first IndyCar event ever at Laguna, and said it was as much fun as I was hoping it would be. Because I don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, but I thought the attendance was pretty decent. Not overwhelming numbers, you say, but thought it was an okay turnout. Yes, what did my more experienced eyes think of the event? I think that's another way, like... Lance Snyder did to call me old. I am in agreement, Austin. It was not mind-bendingly amazing. Last year's race was a huge kick to the parts of the body that hurt. Nobody showed up. I mean, nobody. And I appreciate all of you that did. I'm not saying you're nobodies, but there weren't many of you. This year, it was pretty obvious from Friday that, oh, they've sold some tickets. Grandstands weren't full on Sunday. Have seen them full before for IndyCar races there. It's been a long time. But uh, grandstands were decent. Attendance was pretty darn good. Saturday, compared to last year, was pretty darn strong. Uh, Sunday felt really darn strong. I know speaking with the track, they said pre-sales were up. Haven't had a chance to hear what the, uh, the walk-up ticket sales were like but I left really and truly encouraged by what I saw there Austin and can only hope this is the start of something uh, something good for getting more fans back because I know IndyCar wants to keep going there for many 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 years I think there's one more year I could be off one year two year whatever it is but there there is a contract 
still in place, but I do know for sure that IndyCar is really interested in continuing to have Monterey as their season finale for a long time to come. Would I hope that IndyCar, like they did at Iowa, where they got super involved, I mean, it was a track rental, so it was incumbent upon them to promote the heck out of it to try and make their money back, but would I love to see the same promotional energy applied from IndyCar to Monterey to make it a much bigger success? Oh, yes. I gotta think they would believe that would be worthwhile, and some of the other tracks are a little bit soft on attendance. So I think what we saw here in 2022 was encouraging, but cannot take that as just, well, it'll keep getting better every year if we just keep showing up. No, more time and money is needed to be invested in the promotion of that event. Enough so that I feel like we need to say... All right, I think I'm promising that's the last time. That's okay. Is it? I don't know. Y'all will tell me. Uh, let's see. Why do we go to a pal, the Daniel Summers Gill, who kindly puts together our Week in Sports Cars listener show Q&A every week. So thanks to you again, Daniel, and also to our pal, Jerry Suddeth, who does this for me on the IndyCar side. You said you are uh, submitting this on behalf of Randall uh, at Straight Y underscore arc from the Prude Discord arm. You said, all things considered, what was the highlight of the year? Personal, professional, whatever. Well, Daniel, thanks for submitting that on Randall's behalf. Oh, I would need to spend a decent amount of time thinking through all of that to come up with the number one highlight. Of the the couple that jump out, how do you not love Marcus Erickson winning the Indy 500, changing his life, changing global perception of him? I think that's pretty darn powerful. Will Power winning that second championship, I think that is something that has also changed his life, not so much today, but just how he is regarded by history. Like, there's... Winning the Indy 500 is amazing, clearly. Winning it once, clearly amazing as well. A lot of folks have won the Indy 500 once. Being a one-time champion, it's amazing. A lot of folks have done that too. Winning the record number of polls, now that's phenomenal. But also maybe got to understand in the context of competition within the paddock. Everyone looks at Power's pole record as just this mercurial thing. There's also a little bit of... of eh, but, yeah, I think 1.9500 is amazing. One-time champion, though, right? If you're the all-time pole record holder, but a one-time champion, yeah... It points to the fact that you weren't a complete driver. Again, you, you figured it out one year, but again, a lot of folks figured it out once. If the biggest thing you have at the end of your career, if we're talking massive numbers, is polls, uh, there's, there's a little something there that folks won't fully respect. And that's where getting a second championship just kicks power into a whole 
different category. That's what I was mentioning earlier. You get three, like you are you are just in really amazing territory. Um, what else comes to mind? McLaughlin, for sure. His crazy, talking about year-to-year mentality changes uh, about power. I mean, McLaughlin just year-to-year, dude, where'd that come from? Nobody predicted. Yeah, you're going to come out of your rookie season where you finished, like, what, 14th or something like that and showed well, showed some promise, but nothing to suggest you're going to be on pole and win the opening race of the season. Um, and then added more poles, left the season with three victories, right? I'd say that's huge. Um, uh, Felix as well, having a good season, having things turn around, that made me, that was really happy. Those are the highlights. There are definitely a lot of lowlights as well, but you asked for highlights. So I'd probably say those jump out on the IndyCar level, and maybe one other as well was Miles Ro- Miles. Rowe and Miles Rowe's ascension in USF 2000. Not even sure if he was going to be able to return, not entering the season with a full budget, more or less having to drive to survive on his own, and leading the championship for most of the year. Obviously, had a rough closing weekend. A lot of it was his fault. Not all of it, but a lot of it was. Ended up finishing second in the championship. Um, would just say that that was a pretty amazing story arc as well. So, yeah, and there are obviously others too, but um, throw in the high V IndyCar weekend at Iowa, throw in a couple of other positives as well, and uh, I'd have to say we're in pretty good shape here. Uh, lots more to talk about this, though, and a whole off-season to do that. Uh, Ed Joris, wondering if the uh, repave that's upcoming to Laguna Seca uh, and Road America will ruin both of those. Uh, I don't think it's going to affect things so much at Road America. Laguna, I do. Um, it's just obviously tighter and twistier. And when you have more tight and more twisty and tons of grip, uh, it makes it a lot harder for the uh, for the best to separate themselves from the not best and also reduces a lot of the errors. So... Uh, at a Road America, where a lot of that is set up, um, yeah, I think that's going to be far less of an issue there. Uh, let's see, what do we get down to our last couple of questions? And I think some of these have come through for uh, the new episode. Uh, but I'm just looking through, trying to find... Uh, let's see. Uh, Chris Kowalik. Chris, if this is your first time sending in a question, I appreciate you. And if not, uh, I apologize for forgetting. He said, with Penske dominating this year with its three drivers finishing in the top four, conspiracy theorists might rankle, considering their team owner also owns the series. However, last season, with only one driver in the top five, that theory is easily debunked. Uh, What safeguards, if any, are in place to separate Roger team owner from Roger Penske, I'm sorry, Roger the series owner from Roger the team owner. Um, We have had, and you also say very kindly, hope all is well with the family. Thank you, Chris. Yes, um, things are actually quite good right now. Um, Try and provide an update. I truly forget. I don't even think of it most of the times. Uh, Many of you still continue to ask how things are going with my wife, so I will 
do my best to remember tomorrow morning when I record the next episode to give you just a little bit of an update there. Uh, when Roger bought the series, the big thing was him stepping back from the day-to-day on the Team Penske side and really turning over the keys to Tim Sindrick to an even greater degree than he had before. Everything I understand and everything that I've seen in practice supports that being something that has happened. Roger hasn't stopped owning the team. Roger obviously has not stopped having calls and whatever with sponsors and trying to you know secure more long-term agreements and do many things that benefit the team that only he can do right but for the most part uh, he's not so much entrenched as he once was nonetheless the areas in which conspiracy type stuff might be done to benefit his team you know, that's, those are the areas where he would have to really and truly be a man of his honor. And I have no reason to doubt that he would act in an honorable fashion. So what would an example be? Hey, there's a rumor, right? And this is an actual rumor. And it may be more than a rumor. Uh, Just a little FYI. I don't, share a lot of those things that I haven't put in print yet, but um, Denver, street race, had one 30-plus years ago in cart, but the idea of going back to Denver for a street race, that's floating around, right? NASCAR is also sniffing around that. Again, heard about this for not super long, but have heard it for a little while. So let's say they end up deciding they're going to do that, and... Obviously, these things get explored, then developed, then agreed upon, usually long before they're officially announced. Let's say they go as far as defining the exact track layout before it's announced. These are things that a Penske would be privy to. If this is information that were shared with his team before any of the other teams saw that, gave them a head start to go and have their folks capture the entire circuit and do some surface testing and get a feel for grip and radiuses and build this into a simulation model and have their drivers doing driver-in-the-loop sim and also just pure software-based sim. That'd be a pretty big violation you might say well hey doesn't he promote the Detroit event that's coming up going to downtown yes very true a lot of construction going on there some new a lot of stuff going on where you go okay that couldn't exactly happen in terms of them getting out and getting an advanced look that no one else could that was presented um, pretty early on in the process but could there have been some sort of something where they got a head start on this potentially But I do have to believe that this is just not an area Roger would go. If you start going down that slippery of a slope, it's going to... Folks are going to get wind of that before too long. So, I'm just trying to think of other things, right? Hey, uh, I don't know. I got to be honest. 
I struggle to think of the things that would actually apply to real, honest, and true items that could be used in an unfair capacity, knowledge gained against the other teams. The one other area would be, well, hey, he owns the series, so what if they're cheating on this thing or that thing, and they tell the technical inspectors to kind of uh, turn their head and not look at that part uh, or, or whatever when the car goes through tech. I mean, if you know Kevin Blanche, and I know Kevin Blanche, uh, there is... <laughs> that is one man who has not told anything um how to do anything uh, how he should do anything 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 there's uh yeah that's a guy who would absolutely not be the person to turn a blind eye to things uh and there's enough other people too who are just not built like that so i know you watch enough TV, you see enough investigative stuff and, and whatever, and you go, okay, well, these are all the ways I imagine collusion could happen. I, I hear you. Knowing the actual people in the paddock who do this stuff, some of them who are longtime friends, some cases teammates back in the day, could have been rivals of mine back in the day, whatever. Like, It's really easy to make these allegations never do I hear any allegations that make sense. If I heard one where I'm like, oh, you know what, actually, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I would be chasing that down in an instant. And I get high fives from the Penske side on occasion. Hey, like that article you wrote, and that's great and fantastic. And I get the steaming mad, angry phone calls as well. I hate that story. It's garbage, and you're totally wrong. Like, so trust me uh i get love and hate uh there's no one to suck up to there's no favor to gain by taking a knee on the bad things again just saying if i saw something where i'm like yep that's foul that's fits some sort of thing that they should not be doing i would 100 percent be pursuing that, getting my sources lined up, and rushing that to print. And the cool thing about uh, the folks that I work with at Racer Magazine is they would say, do not dial this down in any way. Tell the truth. And they've done that countless times before, even when uh, it probably uh, has had some negative consequences. So just wanted to share that. Um, I hear, have heard some of the conspiracy allegations i just wonder why folks can't put a couple of quick things together to say ray goslin went to work for ilmore ray goslin said there's a big blind spot in how things have been done here for a while in intentionally choosing to not customize the engine mapping and throttle response to our engines, from our engines, to what each driver is asking for. Like the analogy earlier about the shoes and the perfect fit, every driver has their own little peculiarities about how they like the power to be delivered when they hit the throttle at the various tracks they go to. Not really an 
big speedway thing, but pretty much everywhere else, big, big factor in how the car performs to their liking centers on the ECU mapping to make the motor respond to the way that they like on throttle, off throttle, you name it. Uh, that's an area that they really didn't delve into, and Honda did. And Honda did that to have an advantage for a good long while. One of the things that fixed that was Ray Gosselin coming from 10, 12, however many years with Andretti Autosport. During that time, keep in mind, they're powered by Chevy and powered by Honda. Uh, but saying, hey, you know what? This is an area that if we want to make sure we're getting everything out of our cars, everything out of our drivers, everything out of our engines, we need to change this practice. Ask them, just like our rivals at Honda do, what do you need? How can I change this? What can I tweak? Make it hit harder, make it hit softer, dull this, sharpen that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We need to start doing that too. And they did that. And there are some serious gains to be found by this change in policy and practice. They obviously did a great job during the off-season with developing their engines, helping to catch up the deficit that they had to Honda, which won the last, what, four or five manufacturer championships in a row. You take the off-season development of Chevy slash Ilmore, you take Ray Gosselin saying, folks, we're leaving speed on the table here. Let's stop doing that. <clears throat> they stopped doing that. You take a furious off-season of work by Team Penske to improve themselves after losing two championships in a row to Chip Ganassi Racing. You combine those three things, and you get a wickedly powerful and effective trio in Penske's drivers. You throw in a Scott McLaughlin, who wasn't a factor last year, pair him with Ben Bretzman, boom, he is an immediate, immediate contributor to the team's success. You get Will Power, who had his worst season ever at Team Penske last year, ninth place in the standings, who has a serious change of mindset, realizing, okay, got it, can't, uh, got to go back to what worked, slash what Pillow used, and boom, he all of a sudden is more effective by miles than he was last year. And then you have Joseph Newgarden just doing Joseph things, winning a ton, adapting with the new race engineer as well, very quickly. And seriously, the Team Penske that we had last year, even with Simon Pagano there, Night and day difference coming back in 2022 as a downsized, more effective team. They won the vast majority of the races. What was it? Nine out of 17, I think it was. Uh, crazy there. You throw in Aaron McLaren SP with Pato doing Pato-like things once he kind of got out of the funk that he was in the first two, three races, four races, whatever, uh, when he was going through the contractual stuff with McLaren. Once he kind of got on song, he is super effective, right? They were monsters at the Indy 500, most effective Chevy team, he and Felix. Felix finds his groove, so now the Air McLaren SP team is a strong Chevy contributor. Pato ends up winning a couple of races, too. Just saying, uh, everybody's eaten on the Chevy side, and it's two best teams 
are the one doing the majority of the feasting, do not be as silly as to say, oh, there's a conspiracy. Yeah, see, that's why they're winning all of a sudden. Yeah, they pull the wool over our eyes. It's tricks, see? There's nothing more than that. It's Roger Penske doing underhanded things, see? No. Just gave you everything as to why Team Penske, Aaron McLaren SP, and Chevy kicked the living poop <coughs> out of everyone this year. Now... It's up to Honda to come back, and Chip Ganassi Racing, and Andretti Autosport, and Ray Hall Edelman Lanigan Racing, and Meyershank Racing, etc., etc., to come back from the Honda side and put up a better fight and a, pro- <coughs> and a proper fight. Sorry, I'm verklempt. I'm getting choked up talking about this. So maybe the one other thing here to uh, throw in to close on this. So, as much as Team Penske dominated, who was their big counterpunch from, say, within the Chevy camp or across the aisle at Honda, keeping them honest? There wasn't one, right? Again, great the Pato won two races. Seriously, great. Air McLaren SP did not keep Team Chevy, I'm sorry, Team Penske honest all year long. They just... They were not even a match. Went through some of their own struggles, but nonetheless, there was nobody. Ed Carpenter Racing, I mean, they had a couple of highlights here, there, and I realize that Renus ended up in a decent place in the championship. Ed Carpenter Racing had nothing for Team Penske. AJ Foyt, nothing. Uh, heck, Hunko's Honga Racing was one of the more impressive backstops uh, at time performing as well as they did but there was nobody in the Chevy camp that was capable of giving Penske any real sustained trouble you look across on the Honda side and there truly was only one team giving Penske any pushback and that was Ganassi they were off a tiny bit for the majority of the season RLL they were just out to lunch for the first half of the season being a time as well where Penske did a lot of winning the Andretti Autosport team sporadically good but they went backwards too again I'm just I don't know if I'm saying anything that should be considered a real revelation here Penske had an amazing season Chevy centrally involved with the improvements they made, and the policy change they made. It's not like all the improvements we just mentioned, plus the big evolution for McLaughlin, the big evolution for power, and the ongoing results of Newgarden, had any other team that was keeping them in check all season long, right? I mean... (laughs) Marcus Erickson won the Indy 500, which was amazing. Rest of the year, right? Dixon got two wins, both on street courses. Pelot ended up winning the season finale, which is phenomenal, but things were already done by then. He was out of the championship. Uh, Marcus was farther back in the championship than he wanted. Dixon, again, tied for second, 20 points out, uh, then 21 after 
power got the pole going into the final race, but things are cooked by then. So, yeah, I realize maybe that's a bit of a longer explanation on this than uh, you'd ask for, Chris, but hey, we're here, we're talking, so let's do that. Um, David Huck, you're asking, what's the impact of the new engine in regards to lap times? Um, talking about Polo and the Monster Drive, yeah, he, he was just, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was a motor thing as much as I do. It's just perfect harmony of setup there, uh, without a doubt. Um, Ricky Zagata asking about where do I think Kyle Busch might land with an IndyCar team? The only one I can think of is McLaren. Uh, Penske's not going to expand to four cars just to run him for the 500 for the marketing hit. Uh, he only cares about the Indy 500, that being Roger. Um, I shouldn't say only, but that's what he lives for. His team was nowhere last, this past 500 and the previous 500. Uh, there's no way he would add complexity to the team with a fourth car in a one-off drive for someone uh, when they still have so much to try and fix. So McLaren's the only one I can think of that has the money and have expressed an interest in running a fourth car, knowing that they're expanding to three. Now, uh, I put this in Racer's mailbag that comes out this Wednesday. Never say never. But the idea, if they don't bring Montoya back, assuming Montoya wants to continue, if they have an option between Montoya and Bush, and they truly care about results, uh, you pick Montoya every single time. <laughs> uh, any decision to put Kyle Bush in an IndyCar at the 500 over Montoya would just be idiotic. And that's not speaking ill of Kyle. Clearly, he's one of the most talented guys we've seen in a long time but better than Juan Montoya at the Indianapolis 500 in an Indy car better than a two-time winner who's finished in the top 10 I think five out of his seven 500s like the guy is pretty much pure money gonna spin the wheel here and hope that a guy in his first 500 is it going to do better than Montoya? You know, it just, yeah, come on. Uh, come on, man. Um, ain't happening. Uh, let's see. Eric Franklin, you got one here asking about um, whether Polo weakens, Polo staying at Ganassi weakens Zach Brown's future bargaining position with other drivers he might want. No, not at all. Uh, Zach and McLaren have money, crazy amounts of money, and a bunch of cars in a bunch of series. All he is, as long as he is there and just willing to throw that around, I, they're always going to have a lot of folks lining up wanting to be a part of it. Uh, let's see. I'm going to take one or two more and then say farewell. Andrew Miller. He said, all right, this is our Debbie Downer question. Which team is more disappointed about their season, Ed Carpenter Racing or Meyer Shank Racing? Both got one podium and otherwise were almost always barely seen in the races. What's more, Simon Pagino managed to lead zero laps all year, putting him in a select group of meh with Dalton Kellett and Jack Harvey. So surely both thought things would go better, but who missed the expected mark 
the the worst. I would have to go with my pals at Marshank Racing. It's not even close, Andrew. Uh, the ECR team, I thought, was going to do better than they did. They thought they were going to do better than they did. The folks who are fans of Ed Carpenter Racing had that same thought. But how much better? Right. There's no new crazy sponsor that's bringing in an outrageous amounts of money for them to uncork insane R&D programs uh, and just find all kinds of speed like they've never had before. Um, no new big hires that I know of. Hey, we've got this championship winning technical director, engineer, damper guru times five from this team or that team. So other than Renus having another year of experience and Connor being able to be in the same team full-time for two years in a row, um, I didn't see anything that led me to believe there was going to be a wicked jump in year-to-year performance, Andrew. And indeed, they did not have a wicked year-to-year jump in performance. That being said, despite not having those crazy expectations, yeah, absolutely was surprised that things were as meh as you mentioned, right? Just not a whole lot there to go, whoa! I mean, if we look last year, I'm sorry, 2021... All right, Connor finished, what, 18th? Got it. Uh, this season, that was 17th. If we look last year where Renus finished, finished 12th, had a win. Where did he finish this year? 12th. No wins. Finished third, though, uh, at Barber's. That was good. Um, Ed... In his limited number of races in 2021, I realize we're not really looking at this as a true, how good he is as a driver, but just 2021, in the limited number of ovals that he did, finished 27th in the championship. This year, 27th. This year, though, is a bit more of a kick in the the boy parts. Um... They more or less held station with where they were. And, uh, yeah, would just say that without a doubt, I thought there was going to be more. I didn't know how much more. I don't know if anybody from the team, very proud team, obviously, I don't know if anybody could say, yep, we, uh, we did things better this year from start to finish than we did last. It looks to me like, if anything, it was a slight failure to improve. The Meyer Shank team, that's the one where I think everyone there is licking some pretty serious wounds. And this also comes from a place of just being a very proud team with high expectations for themselves. If you look at where Jack... Harvey finished uh, when they went full-time, right? Their first full-time season, single car, 2020. Jack finished 15th. Decent, like good, like, again, not amazing, but 
I'm just looking here. One, two, three, four, five, six top tens in that abbreviated uh, 14 race COVID season. Like that was, again, for 15th place, first time they went full season, single car, pretty darn good. Move that to 2021, back again full season, finished 13th. Okay, you know, good. Like, definitely good. Not crazy good. Had Elio there for a little less than half the races. Won the Indy 500, obviously, it's great for him. But I think Jack coming out of 21, thinking, you know, I don't know if this is going to go a whole lot higher than what it is. Got great opportunity at RLL. I'm going to go do that. Um, The Shank team saying, okay, well, we're going to bump Elio up to full-time. That's going to be awesome. And we've got coveted free agent Simon Pagano. Uh We're now going full-time, two cars. Elio, bit of a disaster, right? He and his race engineer, Mark Bryant, who I think the world of, uh, won the 8500 together. They just stopped making sense to each other. There was an engineering change uh, towards the latter stage of the season. But if you look at Elio's finishes from what row well, heck Detroit on so coming out of the Indy 500 where he finished seventh but after Indy Elio had precisely one top 10 finish and it was an eighth everything else was no better than what 13th and as low as 25th his last I think eight races were all mid-teens or more, or higher. Like, just brutal. Nothing worked. Miserable. Salvation hoped for with Pagano. Yeah, I don't know what wasn't working, but it just didn't work for the majority of the season. Um, It's worthy of of deeper introspection, either in a podcast or written form, or maybe both. Um... Simon and I spoke for a little while uh, later Sunday evening at Monterey. It was a nice little catch-up with he and his wife, Haley. She's so awesome, by the way. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper there, but without a doubt, we're going full-time. Two Indy 500 winners, one IndyCar champion, another one a sports car champion, but two of the, the best uh, to do it definitely this millennium. And to come away with all that big investment with the top place driver 15th in the standings, um, yeah, brutal. Never would have expected that without a doubt. Uh, I mean, how's this? Christian Lungard, rookie driver at a team that just fell on its face for the first half of the year, finished one spot ahead of Simon in the championship. And the driver in front of him, Romain Groschamp, who I think most would agree had a terrible season, finished two spots ahead of Simon. Um, Simon was almost overtaken by our boy David Malukas at Dale Coin Racing, right? Only nine points behind in the championship. Not Again, I'm just mentioning Simon because he's the highest-placed driver, so I'm not placing the blame on him. I'm just saying uh, Andretti Autosport had a pretty bad year. We're adrift on the engineering side at a lot of races. 
Meyershank Racing as a client of theirs. Uh, not a surprise knock-on effect of them being out to lunch on the engineering side at a lot of races. Uh, it's got to improve next year because they absolutely cannot stand to have that happen. Two seasons in a row. Ryan Terpstra asking about whether uh, uh, Andretti is no longer part of the big three. Correct. No longer part of the big three. Got to earn their way back in. But neither is Aaron McLaren SP. They were in it for a little while, then fell out. So yeah, to me, it's just contracted to the big two. Who's going to take that big three spot back next year? Uh, Ed Joris, you're asking, I think we'll close with this. Say at times a season, it seemed from afar, the difference between Alex Pelot and Chip Ganassi racing were irreconcilable. Now it seems, uh, is that reconciliation possible? Um, you're more talking about not the dr driving the car again for them, but just the uh, relationship. They'll make do. Uh I will put good money on the moment Alex is contractually available to leave. He will be gone. Uh, where he will go, I don't know. Does he slot into that number seven car after the 2023 season if he's able to go? Uh, yeah, if he's a free agent, I have no question that McLaren will drop him in the car and Felix will be looking for a seat. Uh, and if he's not available... Um, until after 24, again, I don't know who's going to be available where, but yeah, I would say you can put a hundred percent guarantee on these two parties are not long for the world with each other. Uh, this is truly a relationship of convenience going forward. Uh, the team realized we're going to be in the best situation with you in our car. And so... If you would rather drive next year than sit on the sidelines, we will swallow our pride if you're willing to swallow your pride. And let's just go do this. And yeah, uh, do I think Chip Ganassi Racing will be continuing to develop its relationships uh, for potential replacement drivers either in 24 or 25? from today on or have they been doing this the whole time yes without a doubt i don't know how many options exist for callum eilat uh at the hunkos hollinger team on his contract meaning i truly don't remember whether it was a one-year or two-year deal and if there's multiple team options after that but i can tell you um if alex polo leaves and callum eilat is available uh, we pretty much start the countdown to when Callum Eilat is announced as the new driver of the 10 car. And if Callum's not available, there are going to be a number of other free agents next, the end of next season, who are certainly uh, going to be folks that I'm sure Ganassi will be going after to try and bring over to their team. So let's close on that. I told you this episode would take about an hour. I'm not good with time or math, which you appreciate and know by now. Uh, but I do appreciate you. And thank you for sending in your great questions. And we'll be back tomorrow with newer, newsier ones that hopefully amuse, entertain, or educate. Yeah, I say that with a question mark at the end of it. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Thank you for listening.